Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, November the 11th, 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, white voters in America and how they voted in this 2020 presidential election. Plus, saluting the voters who voted for Joe Biden. And one or two other things that you might appreciate. Coming up next. If I lose to him, I don't know what I'm going to do. I will never speak to you again. You'll never see me again. If I lose my whole life, what am I going to do? I'm not going to feel so good. Maybe I'll have to leave the country. I don't know. Well, Donald, you don't have to go to prison now. But you have to get the hell up on out of here. You have 70 days to clear out, pack your bags, be gone. The world is waiting for your exit from the White House. And January 20th cannot come soon enough. I should say that Donald Trump is still muddling over what he will be doing. Will he be leaving the country? Will he be going underground somewhere? Will he be hiding out underground? Will he, what will he be doing? Well, I really don't care. All I know is, is that on January the 20th, he will be nowhere to be seen anywhere on the White House grounds. I have a feeling he won't even be in the White House physically on the 20th. I think he will have left the White House long before, believe me. I think over the Christmas holiday period, um, he will slink out the back door, never to be heard from again from the Oval Office. Thank God. He's not going to produce any kind of outgoing address. He's not going to say anything gracious. He's just going to disappear. All that will be left will be his screaming orange rants on Twitter. And I guess he'll prepare some kind of video there or not. But we are looking forward. The world is looking forward to the exit stage left of Donald Jumpsuit Trump because the orange jumpsuit will be fitted to the extent that you can fit one on him. But it will be fitted soon. We've seen the Attorney General of New York, Tish James, promise, virtually promise, that there would be an action taken against Donald Trump in legally, legally speaking. Investigations are going on about the Trump organization and all of that kind of stuff. It's still going on. Cyrus Vance is doing investigations at the level of Manhattan District Attorney in New York City. So he is open to many lawsuits. We've seen it um, exposed to, for lack of a better word, many lawsuits. E. Jean Carroll, who has said over and over again that she was raped by Donald Trump. Several years back, I think back it was in the um, 1998 or so, somewhere around there. She was public with this and I applaud her 
openness and her courage. It's not easy to do that, to come out like that front and center. Um, that shows a lot of guts, a lot of guts. And she wrote a whole story about this in, in New York Magazine in 2000 and, uh, 2019. If I'm not mistaken, maybe 2020. I mean, the year has gone by so fast. In the time, just at least in my mind, the time has gone by quickly. I know that this year has been particularly trying for all of us in various ways. But I think it was last year that E. Jean Carroll wrote that story in New York Magazine. Whew. I mean, really, I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy the, the, the time. But the point I'm making is, is that this guy is going to be gone soon. And I did a SoundCloud audio bit on this yesterday. And I really did mean it when I said in that audio bit, it'll last about four minutes or change. I'm going to put um, a link to it in this episode, the liner notes. I really did mean that I'm not going to talk about this again, about all this media driven, you know, hysteria. I hate that word because it's not, you know, it implies a lot of things that I think lean very misogynist. So I need to change the word to frenzy around, is he going to leave? Is he not going to leave? And all this. Look, look again, you know, as I say, you know, um, these are things to be concerned about. Um, and it is definitely uh, an attack on the democracy that we have left. There's no question about it. But this guy is going to leave and he is going to leave pronto, soon. This is his way of trying to torture the American public. That's what this is. This is about an angry, mean, small, miserable man who wants to now torture the public with his own sadness and sorrow because he saw the pictures and the video of you and me and millions of other people in the United States cheering and celebrating in the streets. You don't think that he didn't see that video? He might have been playing golf, but trust me, he saw the video. Of all of us jumping up and down, joy, joy all over the place, black joy, every joy all over the place. We were happy. Most of the people we saw were under the age of 40 on those streets and people who were older than 40 on the streets. Like they just won a million dollars each. Come on. People around the world were celebrating. We were all breathing a sigh of relief. And so that is the way of this world, said Earth, Wind and Fire once upon a time. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't quantify the amount of world leaders. There were so many of them excitedly congratulating Joe Biden. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? Excited and relievedly. Relief. Relief in their congratulations and joy in their congratulations to Joe Biden. The telephone calls have been coming in nonstop for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Soon to be 78 years young. The calls have been coming in from world leaders, even Turkey's dictator 
Erdogan congratulated Joe Biden. You had Israel's indicted prime minister soon to be outgoing because he has to share power. The agreement was he gets to share power with Benny Gantz of the blue and white party of Israel. So that, uh, you know, that was the agreement. So within the next, what, year or so, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was indicted, I believe this year or last year, will be exiting himself. And even <laughs> even Netanyahu, who's uh, this close buddy, in quotes, of Donald Trump, even Netanyahu extended a congratulatory hand to Joe Biden. You know, this is so funny because a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump was at the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office, I believe it was, in the Resolute Desk or wherever he was in the White House, behind the Resolute Desk. It wasn't the Oval Office. It was. And so he had this conference call with uh, Netanyahu because there was this Sudanese-Israel uh, agreement. Yet there was no Sudanese leader there. You didn't see anyone from the Sudanese government on that conference call. Yeah, it was just America and Israel, right? Yeah. And then the people that they, the country they purportedly had this agreement with, right, was Sudan. And they're not there. Where, where's the, where are the Sudanese? They're the subject of the agreement with Israel. Israel and Sudan had this agreement supposedly brokered by Trump. And, oh, yeah, so you only have one of the two parties there. What kind of an agreement is that when you only have one party represented? What is that? They couldn't get Sudan on the phone? Come on now. So anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But my whole point is that roughly two weeks ago, Netanyahu was on the other end of the phone and the media, American media, other media were gathered around as Trump was talking and he mentioned to Netanyahu, what do you think, BB, uh, is Sleepy Joe, do you think Sleepy Joe would appreciate what we did? Do you think Sleepy Joe could have, uh, could have come off, could have come off with this deal that, that I did, that we did? And then you hear on the telephone, the voice over the speaker, the voice of Netanyahu saying, well, uh, all I can say uh, is that, and he pivoted away from the garbage and the infantile, immature, small-minded, small-handed comments of Mr. Tiny Hands himself. And now, both of them will be leaving office in 2021. So there you have it. There is poetry after all, poetic justice. When I return, white voters in America, what did they do in this 2020? presidential election at the ballot box. Omar Moore here, and I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the Politocrat Daily Podcast. I really do appreciate your support so very much.
please tell your friends to listen and subscribe to the Politocrat Daily Podcast. This podcast is available in so many places, including Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google, Apple, iHeartRadio, Ebony Jet Media, and so many other places. Spotify. I could go on and on. And I always appreciate your time. And I always appreciate you listening to the Politocrat Daily Podcast. News, views, sports, politics mostly, information, conversation, and lots of food for thought. Thank you again for your support of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Take your praise. Black women, take your praise. That was Mary, 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 J. Blige with Work That. And black women worked that at the polls for this 2020 general election, this presidential election. And, uh, you know, I am so thankful. And I think I may have said this once or twice before. I may I may have done. I am just so thankful for um, black women in so many different ways. And I'm thankful that they represented as they always do when it comes to voting. I mean, come on. No other group, and I've said this many times here on this podcast, no other group has come through so, so much, so consistently, so often and voted in higher numbers for the Democratic Party candidate or candidates than black women have time and time and time again in this 2020 presidential election, according to exit polls by CNN and NBC News, 92% of black women voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. For black men, that number was 82%. 82% of black men. If I'm not mistaken, I may have to check that number. Um, it could be 82 or it could be 84. But in any event, black men overwhelmingly, and I mean, this was not close, folks. Overwhelmingly. I mean, this, this was not close. And they voted for Joe Biden. Now, all that concern that I had, and I had always said to you that the majority of black men would vote for Joe Biden. The vast majority of them did. And it is indeed 82%, according to the exit polls from uh, CNN and NBC News. I had no doubt about that. And all that concern, even though I did have some concerns and I raised them, um, there was never a doubt, right? You knew that black men were going to in large numbers, despite the efforts of people like Ice Cube and 50 Cent, Kanye West. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, hardly any black person voted for him. I mean, are you surprised? 
you shouldn't be. You know, despite the efforts of those two or three rappers, in quotes, there, you know, the vast majority of black people did not listen to the madness and the nonsense or the BS, and they weren't going to be distracted. I want to, again, salute black women for their vote. Thank you so much for really showing up strong, showing up proud, as you do, as you continue. Not that you asked to do this, not that you want to be the ones to do this, but you do inevitably end up being the people who save the country. And it's not that you ask to save it. It is that you do the right thing at the ballot box and not just at the ballot box. But since we are talking about voting and since we are reflecting back, since I am reflecting back, we have to salute and give credit where credit's due. Stacey Abrams, black women in general, black men should get some credit here. You know, thank goodness, 82% of you you know, I'm one of those 82%. I would have loved the number to be higher, but hey, it's still higher than every other group of people, including Latinos, Latinas, Native Americans, white voters, everything. I want to thank all those groups. Um, speaking of Latin, Latinx, I want to thank everybody there too. You know, Chuck Rocha, Marisa Teresa Kumar, so many others with the efforts, the Nuestro Pact for, for Mr. Rocha, uh, for Ms. Kumar, Voto Latino, and all of these other organizations, which I've not even mentioned, but do not mean to leave out at all. You know, there's so many youth organizations and movements who helped power this victory for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So I do want to, again, reaffirm that um, with the biggest tip of the hat to black women. Um, it was black women again who pushed Joe Biden to get a black woman on the ticket as vice president. He listened to that after sustained pressure from black women. You know, I salute people like Latosha Brown, uh, Black Voters Matter. That's her organization. I'm going to put a link to her organization and to some of the others I've mentioned in this, in these liner notes as well, because you need to get to know about them. Stacey Abrams Fair Fight Organization, um, you know, and there are other black women's organizations. I'm sorry, I don't remember them all. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the thing about when you when you start this, you, you know, you know, you're going to leave somebody out. But at the same time, I don't want to generalize and not specifically pay homage to people like Latasha Brown, and I would love to have her on to talk. And I've, I've reached out to her. She's just been very busy um, and it completely understood and completely it's completely understood. Um, but I really look forward, I hope, to talk to her. Um, she's been so busy with her Herculean efforts, really um, beyond her Herculean efforts. What she's been doing all over this country, she must also get a lot of credit. Stacey Abrams, obviously, with the with the brilliance and excellence that she um, exudes and puts forth and, and, and the work uh, and the dedication. Um, she loves her country. You know, 
the women that I'm saluting and I'm talking about here, they love this country. They want this country to be better, much better than it is. And they're working for that, right? And they love their people. And they said, this is what they're doing. Black Voters Matter is a great organization. There's color of change out there with Rashad Robinson and, uh, you know, Kristen Clark's done great work, the attorney, uh, the Lawyers Commission for Human Rights. I mean, I, there's so many. I could be here all day and night and the next day and night talking about these organizations and the great work they've done. So take your bow, take your praise. Um, we will continue to support you, but we also have to keep going with this fight in Georgia. So let's not forget that because there's still, what, 55 more days until we get to that runoff. But in the interim, 55 days, we've got to be really calling, text banking, Georgia voters, getting on board these campaigns, John Ossoff and uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, electjohn.com, that's J-O-N, electjohn.com, and warnock4georgia.com. So I just want to um, tell you, go fundraise, please. If you can spare half an hour or an hour um, during the weekend or during the week or whatever you can do, please phone back for these two uh, Democratic candidates. We want a Senate controlled by Chuck Schumer and the Democrats, not by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. We've seen how that's gone over the last few years. It's been a disaster. All of this is to say thank you to black women, to black organizations, to Latinx organizations, and to other organizations that I haven't mentioned for all the hard work you did to turn out this vote and turn it out for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. As I've said before, we now need to see that be paid back in dividends from the Biden-Harris administration. I've talked about agenda building and what we need to do on a really ground level roots, grass, grassroots level and how we can make that organic, how we need to build coalitions now. Um, we, know we need to build these coalitions. All of these groups of us that voted for Joe Biden, we now need to reach and talk to each other and sustain what we've done, right? We phone banked. And when you phone banked for Joe Biden and you did it and you connected with people on Zoom, all of them were not white and all of them were not black and all of them were not Latinx. And all of them were not Native American. You saw people of different backgrounds and races on your Zoom screen, right? If you did that. So we need to now reach out to people. Some of the people, uh, if you were able to reach out to them during the phone bank, great. But we now need to reach those people who did that. And let's build coalitions together. Black folk and Latinx. Let's build these coalitions together. Let's, let's do that. Because we have the most powerful blow. If we, listen. If black folk and Latinx build coalitions together, do you know how much voting power we have? We would run this thing. I mean, that's what, 32% of the population combined, roughly, or maybe just about 30%, whatever the number is. That's a strong voting block. 
And I'm telling you, you know, white voters are going to split the vote. And when you've got black and Latinx voters, and there's all kinds of Latinx community, Latino community, just like there's all kinds of black communities. They're very diverse. But if we can get a coalition of people together, look out world. I'm telling you. So I just want to say this can be done. And I want to thank every voter out there, every single one of you. I'll tap, you know, pat myself on the back too, you know, for voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. The work has to be done to implement the agenda that we want and that we voted for them for and to push the things that we still want to push, even if Joe Biden isn't for them, like Medicare for all, like the Green New Deal. I mean, I still think those things should be pushed for, despite the fact that that is not the kind of thing that Biden is going to be governing for or on. But there's no harm in pushing these things. Joe Biden has a mandate with now soon to be 78 million people voting for him. And that's going to get to 80 million. Make no mistake. That's going to get to 80 million voters. He's going to win by about 7 million votes. He's going to have a close to 4, maybe let's say 5% margin of victory percentage-wise. And he's going to have around 306 electoral college votes, if not more. That's a landslide any way you slice it. So we have a mandate too. Black people have a mandate because of our overwhelming vote for him. And Joe Biden even mentioned that in his speech the other night, his victory speech on Saturday night in Wilmington, Delaware. The African-American community has always had my back and I'll have yours too. That's what he said. I'm roughly paraphrasing this or almost quoting it verbatim, actually. So we need to exercise. Look, black folk, we need to exercise the mandate that we have now, that we have given Joe Biden and that we have. We need to unify. We need to build together and present a united front because we have different groups, too. There's so many groups. There's the African-American Policy Forum and run by uh, Kimberly Crenshaw the great professor out of uh, Southern California there, does excellent work. Also brings in different aspects of the black community, the LGBTQ community, and, and many other different communities in the black community. So we, we, there's so many other groups. We need to start interfacing together, unify, build together, and we'll have slightly different issues and interests, but we're roughly all on the same page for the most part. They're in terms of the political advocacy I'm talking about. So let's use this opportunity now to transition. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing their transition. Well, there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing ours. <laughs> you know, we should transfer now from voting to advocacy. And voting is a form of advocacy, but I'm talking now about the real bread and bread butter issues now. You know, we should now transition to coalition building, to building an agenda that serves black people and serves people who are poor and serves 
the underclasses that serves white people who voted in favor of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and people who need uh, uh, economic assistance and the, preserving a woman's right to choose and protecting marriage for everybody, for every consenting adult. I mean, these are the things I think we can do. Now, look, we can we can do that across the political spectrum. And let's build a, a, an organization together. I mean, there's all kinds of great organizations already, but we can we can build another. We can build others. And let's present that united front and start lobbying the Biden-Harris administration now, even before they're sworn in on the 20th of January. I did say I would get to white voters and ask or answer how they did, how they fared, and how they voted in the 2020 presidential election. But I'll do that right after this. Maybe I'll have to leave the country. I don't know. Well... Like I said, leaving the country is an option. But as far as white voters are concerned, it seems, not seems, the fact is, is that most white voters don't want you to leave the country, Donald. In fact, they didn't even want you to leave the White House. I did an episode about white voters in June of this year, almost exactly five months ago today, on June the 12th, 2020, I did an episode here on the Politocrat podcast. You can go back and listen to it. I might just link to it so that you don't have to search around for it too much. But it is called and was called Which Way Will White Americans Vote on November 3rd, 2020? Question mark. And I raised the concerns in that episode. I haven't listened back to it since. But I do remember talking about what will white voters do? I think I've done at least two or three episodes on this throughout this year. And I think one of the questions I posed was, you know, will white voters vote for Biden or will they vote more for Donald Trump? Which, and I have mentioned this all year long on social media, particularly, specifically at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, on Twitter. And as far back as January the 17th of this year, 2020, I tweeted about this. What will white voters do in America when it comes to this coming November's general election? Will they vote for Donald Trump or will they vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is? That was in January of this year before we had known, before we ever knew that Joe Biden was going to be the Democratic nominee. Before we knew who was going to be the nominee. I mean, there hadn't been a primary or a caucus yet back on January the 17th, 2020. There were still debates. We were still in the middle of a billion gazillion debates with 22,000 different Democratic candidates on the stage. Remember the days of, well, we're going to have the uh, 
grown-ups debate of 10 people on, on one night and 10 on the other. And maybe we'll have the kiddie, the kiddie table debate with... <laughs> you remember that kind of lingo that you were hearing in the corporate news media in the U.S.? It was only 10 months ago. And then, you know, previous to that last June, June of actually 2019, you know, the first debate of which Kamala Harris won that debate when she turned to Joe Biden, who would end up being, (laughs) who would end up being the man that she is now going to walk into the White House with in in two, two, just over two months and said that little girl was me. And you can see the look on Joe's face. Do you, I mean, you remember all of that, right? And some people I know have told me, well, that's performative. And, you know, maybe, maybe not. But look, the point is, is what she said was the truth. Um, but look, 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 look. The point I'm making here, everybody, is that I did raise this question. I'm not the only one who raised it, but I'm saying that I raised it. How would white Americans vote on November 3rd, 2020? And several times during this calendar year, I raised that question on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L. And one of the things I asked many of the people who follow me, including, you know, many white people follow me on Twitter, or at least a, a sizable number of my followers are white. I put it that way. Um, and... Some of the individuals of that group of white people who follow me were saying, no, no way. More white people are not going to vote for for Trump. They're going to vote for Biden instead. I had other people telling me the same thing. You know, oh, you know, no way. You know, Joe Biden, they're going to vote for Joe Biden. I mean, come on. So white people were telling me this. Some white people were telling me this. No, no, there's just no chance. Well, let me share with you the numbers from an exit poll from CNN and NBC News for this 2020 presidential election. They found that 58% of white men voted for Donald J. Trump. And they found that 55% of white women voted for Donald J. Trump. So to those who said to me, whether in person, you know, whether over the phone or whether via email or whether on Twitter or wherever else, who said to me that, no, you know, white people, no, there's no way white people, most white people will not be voting for Donald Trump this time. Not after everything we've seen here. Not after the 241,000 and counting 
people who have been killed in the United States, who've died from coronavirus at Donald Trump's hands, or the blood on his hands that he can possibly have. No chance of that after all the things. The firings and the lies and the, the racism and the violence and the the ode to proud weaklings and the standing down and by and all this garbage. No chance, you know, kidnapping, threatening to a plot to kidnap a governor and you know, the marches on that governor's mansion, a governor's uh the state house in Michigan and no chance and the the threatening to behead her and end her No there's no way that most white people would vote for Donald Trump again. Well, now I rest my case. And I do say, by the way, that there was certainly somebody from the past who talked about this kind of thing. Can you guess who said this? Quote, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man. He won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. He'll empty his pockets for you. Guess who said those words? That I just read out to you. It was none other than Lyndon Baines Johnson. And he said this. In the 1960s. In fact I believe in 1960 or 61. While he was the. Either vice presidential candidate. uh, Or either as he was a presidential candidate. Whichever one it was, it would have had to have been as vice president. Or it could have been as presidential candidate. I forget whether LBJ ran in 1960 or not. But certainly in 1961, he was the vice president of the United States to JFK. And I believe it was when he was on the campaign trail. That he said this. It might have been 1960 or 61. 1960. But in any event. That is what LBJ said. And believe me. LBJ. Absolutely backs up. Well I should say. Those. 58% of white men. And 55 percent of white women certainly back up LBJ and not only that their racism backs up LBJ I mean LBJ of all people knew what he was talking about when he said those words all those years ago because he himself was certainly a racist 
Notoriously so. It was openly so. He would use the N blank word. He would use the N word. I, you know, he would say the he would say that word openly while in the White House, while speaking to people. It was well known. So I think LBJ knows what the heck he's talking about here. And yet LBJ will go down as one of the three or four, if not one of the two or three most consequential presidents the United States of America has ever had. But that was not because LBJ was this shining, sparkling jewel. That was because you and I, of back then, the activists and the ancestors of the day, pushed LBJ and pushed him through activism, good trouble, necessary trouble, as John Lewis would say. Blood, sweat, tears, lives, sacrifice. That's what made LBJ do it. Sign the Civil Rights Bill, the Voting Rights Act. Sign both of those Critical, critical bits of legislation. Critical. It's because of our efforts. We have the capacity to do this again with Biden and Harris. We have a possible, possible, possible chance to turn Joe Biden into a transformational figure. And I've alluded to this before. We will have to push him. But let the record reflect that a majority, once again, for the second presidential election in a row in the United States, let the record reflect that a majority of white Americans voted for the racist, the misogynist, the genocider, the compulsive pathological liar, the anti-Muslim and so many other things that Donald Trump is about. Let the record reflect that the majority of white people in this country who voted, voted for a racist, voted for all those things. Why isn't the corporate news media, aside from showing us these exit poll numbers I've just read out to you a few minutes back, doing deep dives into white American voters voting for Donald Trump. Why aren't they doing that? Why isn't the corporate news media on cable doing that kind of forensic examination? I mean, instead of this war that is, I guess, going on, and I talked about it yesterday, between the uh, corporate Democrats and the progressives in the Democratic Party, and it's something to cover. Look, I've talked about it here. Instead of focusing only on that, could you spare a few minutes to do a deep dive on white American voters and why it was that 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump and why it was that 58% of white men voted for Donald Trump? Can you do some kind of deep dive there? 
instead of these stories about, oh, well, black voters didn't really turn out. That was the narrative a week ago. Do you remember on election night and even before that, three, four, five days before that, you see these articles showing up in the corporate news media online. Bloomberg, oh, concern about black voters, not sure. Give me a break. I told you that there would be black voters showing up. I told you they'd vote. I told you there'd be early voting. I told you that there was a tradition in uh, numbers of parts of black communities across the country of voting on election day. And that exactly is what happened in many instances. These articles, many of them, did not really focus on the voter suppression that was going on by the Republican Party, of course. You know, conveniently ignore that even with this turnout, there was also voter suppression. And even with that voter suppression, black folk turned out in overwhelming numbers. And this is what I said had to happen. So that people would vote in droves. No matter who they were, black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, Vote in overwhelming numbers and vote early so that your numbers would be so vast and so overwhelming that it would drown and completely drown and swamp, pun intended. Or maybe not. Any voter suppression attempts. And that's the real story is that even with all of the Republican Party's voter suppression, we said, hell no. You're not going to tell us not to vote. You're not going to intimidate us with your robocalls, with your blooming fake messages and your blooming texts telling you the elections on November 4th and the, the blooming emails you got telling you, don't vote, you you might have to pay more in taxes or your debt, we're going to collect it if you vote or any kind of thing like that. Pieces of mail that said you can't vote here, you've got to vote somewhere else. Putting fake drop boxes and calling them official when they weren't. Here in California, you had these California Republic Republicans. Oh no, these are, we're not going to take away these illegal and fake drop boxes. We're not going to do that. Ask California here in the state here, California. Ask us how many Californians voted for Joe Biden. Two to one margin. Should have been even more than that. But here in California, at least 65, 66 percent of us voted for Joe Biden. In San Francisco here. Over 85% of us voted for Joe Biden. Over 85%. And San Francisco ain't the liberal bastion it used to be either. It is a very corporate-driven city. And the mentality here, although you still find lots of pockets of good old-fashioned, traditional San Francisco, not the gentrified malaise that the world is in, the real diehards, right? But you know, you can go to hate you could go to hate Ashbury and feel like you were in hate Ashbury. Asbury. Now you go to hate Ashbury and you feel like you're 
in corporate America. <laughs> You're just in a strip mall somewhere. At least it feels that way to me. So white American voters at large voted for Donald Trump. The majority of them did. Most of them did. And I wish the corporate news media actually did some deep dives on that and educate people and challenge people and say to them, why? Raise the critical questions. Why did most white Americans vote for Donald Trump again? With everything they knew, what was driving that? Well, I think you know what the answer to that is, everybody. That those voters are racist? Let's start there for a start. Welcome back. Look, Time Magazine is not the arbiter of everything in the world, but let me tell you something. When they do, if you're listening to Time Magazine, if you are someone who works for Time Magazine, or if you're someone who has a position of power there, when you all do your person of the year for 2020 and you release that edition sometime next month, I think it's in the middle part of next month that it traditionally happens where that is released, that cover and that award. Can you do me and, you know, a lot of other people, I imagine, a big favor? Make sure that you name your person of the year for 2020, the American people. Can you do that? Because that would be my choice. If I was going to do a person of the year, whether it is the politocrat person of the year, whether it is whatever, whether I'm the one running Time magazine or whether I'm running a black public publication. Um, and there's plenty of those, The Root and, you know, Jet and whatever the black publication is, right? There's lots of them. I would be naming the American people as the person of the year. I really would. Heck, I might even just make it black women be the person of the year. It's a shared effort, though, because the American public are the ones, including black women, who went through so much. We went through so much in this calendar year. And that's not to say that the rest of the world did not. Because, of course, the rest of the world went through this pandemic as well. So I am not uh, meaning at all to slight the globe at all. I am simply saying that with all of the death and the disease and the destruction and the climate change and the global warming and the police murders and executions of black people and everything else that I haven't mentioned, and Donald Trump and the Republican Party and how wretched and violent and criminal and dangerous and evil they are. What we, the American public, had to go through this year, all of it, all of the trauma, what the doctors went through, the nurses who were taking care of COVID 
patients, all of these families who've lost loved ones, over 241,000 people and counting, lost, died at Donald Trump's hands through this virus and the people they left behind. All of us. And we still went out and voted during a pandemic, risking our lives, our health, everything. Vote like your life depends on it. Vote like you've never, ever voted before, John Lewis. Get into good trouble, necessary trouble, the protests for Black Lives Matter, for George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, for Ahmaud Arbery, for Rashad Brooks, and so many others. The brother in Philadelphia who was murdered by the police a few short weeks ago. Walter Williams, I always get the name wrong. So I just, you know, I'm afraid to get to say his name because I, I, I don't want, I got to get his name right. And, and next time I talk about this, which will be very soon, I will actually get his name right. But my whole point is the American public should get that honor and a lot more. I mean, it's relatively trivial, right? Um, but I'm just saying on a symbolic level, but beyond symbolism, the American public needs to be given a large round of applause because most of us did the right thing, right? On November 3rd and before November 3rd, for two months before that, starting in North Carolina and continuing Virginia and Minnesota and everywhere else, the vast majority, most of us did the right thing and we voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And so we the people should be person of the year. So Time Magazine, if you're listening, <laughs> make sure that you kindly make the American people, we the people, the person of the year for 2020. Because if it is not us, who else could it possibly be? Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. day, November the 11th, 2020. A big salute to veterans everywhere, everywhere around the world and here in the U.S. of A. 
people who have served their country. People here in the United States who have served America. Thank you so very much for all you do.